Um, case 23, not thinking of good or bad. The sixth ancestral master was chased by Ming all the way to Mount Danyu. The ancestor saw Ming coming, so he placed the robe and bowl down on a rock and said, this robe symbolizes entrustment of the Dharma. How can it be taken by force? Take it if you want it. Ming tried to pick it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Ming hesitated and became frightened. He retorted, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. Please teach me, postulant. The ancestor said, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad. At just this moment, what is your original face? At this, Ming was greatly awakened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. In tears, he bowed in reverence and asked, is there any other significance beyond this secret teaching and meaning? The ancestor said, what I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illuminate your own original faith, what is secret is, is right there. Ming said, though I followed along in the congregation at Huang Ni, I've never had insight into myself. Today, I received your instructions and had an opening, like a person drinking water who knows for himself whether it is cold or warm. I shall regard you as my teacher, postulant. The sixth ancestral master said, if this is so, then both you and I take Wang Mi as our teacher. Let us protect and uphold this teaching. So now we sit for five more minutes. Well, I have a very short question. I'm looking up postulate. And it says a candidate, especially one seeking admission into a religious order, but he, he's calling his teacher this the teacher at postulate. Well, this is we uh, we Neng, the sixth ancestor. Remember, he he wasn't even allowed to be a monk. He was, you know, uh, back grinding rice in the kitchens uh, when he demonstrated to his teacher that you know he was in fact the one to receive um, entrustment of the Dharma. Uh, so, so he was a postulant as well. Yeah, he was a postulant. Uh, and and see, Ming was one of the many people who was sent after him to bring him back. Uh, so his calling- He wrote the poem on the wall, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So calling him postulant is, it seems like it's kind of a dig. Um, kind of a dig? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, because he's, you know, the who are you to have the Roman bowl postulant, you know. <laughs> no. And it's funny in the in the same sentence. I I shall regard you as my teacher postulant. Right. right. So. Hmm. It's weird. Okay. That is such a long. I've got one, had one thought during meditation about posture that the fifth ancestors of monastery, I think, was very large. And it's quite possible that Ming had no idea what Weenang's name was. And so that's why he called him postulant, because he knew that was all he really knew about him. Mm -hmm. So it may not have been a dig at all. Mm. Hey. So it's such a long koan. Does one person want to read it or do we want to divide it up by paragraph or how would you like to proceed? I'll read it. I'll read okay. the whole thing. All right, great. Thank you. Case 23, not thinking of good or bad. The sixth ancestral master was chased by Ming all the way to Mount Dayu. The ancestors saw Ming coming, so he placed the robe and bowl down on a rock and said, this robe symbolizes entrustment of the Dharma. How can it be taken by force? Take it if you want it. 
Ming tried to pick it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Ming hesitated and became frightened. He retorted, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. Please teach me, postulant. The ancestor said, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad. At just this moment, what is your original face? At this, Ming was greatly awakened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. In tears, he bowed in reverence and asked, is there any other significance beyond this secret teaching and meaning? The ancestor said, what I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illumine your own original face, what is secret is right there. Ming said, though I followed along in the congregation at Wang Mei, I've never had insight into myself. Today I received your instructions and had an opening. Like a person drinking water who knows for himself whether it is cold or warm, I shall regard you as my teacher postulant. The sixth ancestral master said, if this is so, then both you and I take Wang Mei as our teacher. Let us protect and uphold this teaching. Wu Men's comment. Regarding the sixth ancestor, his actions came from a state of emergency. If his grandmotherly, in his grandmotherly kindness, he peeled a fresh lychee fruit, removed the pit, and then placed it in your mouth. All you have to do is swallow it. It cannot be described or pictured, nor can it be praised enough. So quit your struggle. The original face has never been concealed. Even if the world extinguishes, it cannot be destroyed. So now we sit for five more minutes. And then after that, we'll write our impressions for five minutes. So we sit first. Okay, now we write. Five minutes, right? Yes, five minutes. So, Gail, if um, I guess you're next, right? Do we want to discuss a little bit? Oh, we, we can. <laughs> oh. What struck me was just how humble this guy is. Mm -hmm both about the teaching and about his own position. And so it illustrates about transmission that there's nothing to transmit in a way that this original face is just so clear and obvious. Is that what you guys got from it? I, I got that the teaching is very simple. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that the teacher was actually... Um, almost embodying it in, you know, the very gentle way he just, you know, pointed Ming. And what struck me a little bit about the koan is he talks about um, not thinking of good, not thinking of bad at just this moment. What is your original face? You know, we kind of, that's a kind of familiar to me, um, the original face but it's more than an idea. It's actually leading you to the experience. And then I got to thinking, well, then the only thing in the way is thinking good or bad. And are most of my thoughts good or, you know, am I making, you know, these constant little uh, discernments, you know, with thought all the time. And if that's stopped, then I have a quiet mind and then what's left. So, I was kind of playing around with the whole good and bad thing that we do up here. Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't sure that it means, you know, negative or positive. It just, to me, it just felt the way our mind constantly is parsing all experience into some, some little label or thing. And that's really what's in the way of 
just noticing your own beingness, you know? Is it the same as the Sing Sing Ming about not being attached to your preferences? Or even the symbols of your preferences. So what this brought up for me was, well, two things actually. And that that's that the sixth ancestral master knew there was a big difference between the iconic, the symbolic emblems of enlightenment which were the robe and the bowl, which mean nothing really, and the embodiment of it, and and that he embodied that in his exchange, which reminded me of a story that was told in Norman Fisher's book that we read mm-hmm. in the precepts class about the samurai who came barging in to yeah, this monk's I thought cave. of that story too. Yes, yes, and 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 the monk just. He was the mountain. He knew who he was. He knew what he was made of. And it didn't matter how much fury and dancing this samurai or in fact, um, Ming did. They knew their essence and they held their essence, which was their their true face. And then showed that to, to both the samurai and to Ming in this case. So kind of a funny story related to uh, Norman Fisher is Robert Thomas was his student and he came to Austin Zen Center for a year or so and he went to Norman Fisher and he said I'd like you to be my teacher and Norman teach Norman Fisher said no I can't be your teacher but I can be your friend and that relates too to the story doesn't it where they're going to go together and be the students of someone else Mm. Nelda, I really like your pointing out the robe and the bowl, almost as if they're, they stand for the concepts of the truth. And as much as you want to try to grab that robe and put it on or do something with the bowl, it's not going to get you, you know, to the truth. And it reminds me on this wall right here, it's not here anymore because I'm packing. I had a flat outline of the world, the countries of I the world. I remember it, yeah. Remember, yeah, I remember that? It because, yeah. because this is the wall I face when I meditate. And so I'm meditating for the benefit of the world. And every time I meditate, I'd look at that saying, that's not the world. That's nowhere near what the world is. That is such an awful, limited representation of the world. And, and the same thing, I don't mean to say that the bowl and the robe are awful, but they are limited representations of dharma and and dharma essence. They're symbols, you know, the same way our mind labels everything. You know, we, we have a name for it and it becomes a symbol for the thing that it actually is, which can't be named really. Like success. How do people oh. measure success? So speaking, yes. So when speaking of symbols and the way we name things and the way we name ourselves also based on either what other people have told us or what we have for whatever reason picked up as we were growing up, there's a special on the Hulu streaming channel called Derek Delgado, something like that, in and of itself. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, he's a magician. Don't let that take you away from it, though. It's not so much about the magic as it is about, bless you, Donna, as it is about recognizing who you are really. And I mean, it will bring you to tears. Mm. I was amazed. So anyway, I had a minute because it, it was such a Zen thing. Put it in the chat, Stephanie. Oh, I will. I will. Hmm. Yes. Well, I had kind of the extension of what Gail said. Uh, the you know thinking about you know don't think good, don't think bad. Um, we often have by the time we're thinking we've already embroidered it into a story so it's um you know step step one may be you know let's 
let's get rid of these stories and see what's left. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, again, it's just like with Dogen, you know, and I mean, Dogen, I guess, must have gotten it here about turn the light around, um, you know, turn the light of awareness back and see what's there. <laughs> yeah, step one for me is just noticing that I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that you know what I mean? That, that, and it's happening all the time. You know, but every time I notice it, it stops for a minute or a second or, you know. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. So who goes first? I guess Donna, you, you read the, and then Gail. Do you go next? Are you next? Yes. Okay. Let me find my place here. No, how about Trouty? Oh. All right. Well, I suppose. Yeah. I, I apologize. No, no. Trouty, okay. I, no, I, I go by Trouty, but um, my iPad shows Edeltraud. I chose the full first name. So I, I should be really, that's how people know me, right? All right, so um, we are reading the woman's uh, comment, right? No, yes. we're reading Gugu's, Gugu. Gugu's comment, okay. That's right. Starting Chan, with pra Chan practice is about clearing away obscurations or barriers. A general method such as awareness of breath is used to develop concentration and awareness. Then the practitioner can move on to two distinct methods. The first is called Huatu or Gongang, which is meditating on a story that involves Chan awakening like this case. The second is a method of no method, the practice of silent illumination, where the practitioner's mind rests nowhere and attaches to nothing while maintaining its clarity. Japanese Zen calls this method shikantaza and just sitting, uh, sorry, or just sitting. Of course, it is used beyond just sitting. It can be extended to all areas of life. These two methods are unique to Buddhism in Buddhism. They represent the heart of wisdom and compassion. Why? because they accord with the nature and function of awakening. When one realizes awakening, one also realizes that there is actually no barriers after all. Awakening in Chan is not an altered state of consciousness or any state for that matter. It is resting in the functioning of the nature of mind without self without grasping, without any obscurations. It is definitely not a state of oneness or bliss. It is what is called our original face. <clears throat> I have mentioned this point in a previous case, but as a reminder, the nature of the space in a room is not affected by how much furniture is in it or how dirty or clean the room is. Realizing one's true nature can be compared to realizing the nature of the space in a room. <coughs> Furniture may seem like obstacles to the room, but from the perspective of the room, they are not. It is precisely because of the openness of the room that furniture can be in it. The emptiness of the room allows for all kinds of furniture and possibilities. The room is the nature of mind. The furniture, the states of mind. I guess I'm next. Um, <coughs> that was a nice uh, paragraph. I like that about the furniture. As if caught up in the furniture in a room, you find yourself obstructed by your vexations, discriminations, labels, and habits. However, although you hold a grudge for a very long time, 
can be angry and have all sorts of suffering or anguish as a result, these states actually do not affect your true nature. Therefore, Chan meditation is not about zapping into some blissful state, but recognizing your intrinsic, intrinsic freedom, who you really are and your potential and living accordingly. Once you have some personal experience in this, the practice path of practice becomes much clearer. You can work on your own shortcomings, such as anger, without being caught up in them. I think I'm next. To see the room's potential, its openness, you must first turn on the light. If it's a mess, clean the carpet, the windows, the floor, and so on. But if you don't turn on the light, but instead start cleaning in the dark, you may bump into the furniture and trip over it and get hurt. This case is that light. It clarifies what awakening and practice are about. And I guess too, we, we confuse the um, furniture with the room. Mm. Don't we? Mm. I do. I like that. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I agree, but I like that. We rarely see the walls as the main focal point in a room, do we? Well, look how, Nelda, look how you responded when, when you saw all Peg's boxes removed, you know, from that room. You could see the room. You could see the room. You just thought it was boxes. <laughs> it's true. You were so surprised. You said, this is so large. It's spacious, it is. Oh, it's me, sorry. This case, not thinking of good or bad, involves one of the greatest Chan masters in the history of Chan, Master Huineng. His name means capable of being wise or wisdom's ability. Some people may think that wisdom will make them intelligent or will change them into some kind of superhuman being. Huineng, was illiterate and poor. His own awakening demonstrates that wisdom is not dependent on intellect, knowledge, and status. He symbolizes the spirit of Chan. This story comes from the platform scripture, which has a biography and contains a compilation of recorded sayings by Weening. It occurred when Weening was still a postulate after having received the Dharma transmission from Daman Hongren, who told him to run away from the monastery at night. The next day, Hui Ming went after Hui Ning. I thought it was the same person there. Fortunately, this text is easily available in major bookstores. Before discussing the Gong An, some background about Hui Ning is necessary. He lived during the apex of the Tang dynasty. His father, originally an official in northern China, was banished to the south after his official status was stripped away for an offense unknown to us. He also died soon after Huining was born, leaving Huining and his mother in abject poverty. Huining, a very filial son, chopped and sold wood to support his mother. <clears throat> One day, at age 28, as he was passing by a certain street on his way home from the market, where he had sold his firewood, Huining heard someone, perhaps a monk, chanting the Diamond Sutra, the quintessential scripture on the wisdom teaching of emptiness. As he was illiterate, he had never come across this scripture. He listened intently and had a deep insight when he heard the words non-abiding, mind arising. Non-abiding is the nature of mind. It is our inherent wisdom and ability to be awake. Like the inherent openness of a room, unobstructed by the furniture in it. Mind here refers to bodhi mind or bodhicitta the altruistic mind of compassion to save all sentient beings. Mm. So essentially, 
This line expresses the inseparable union of wisdom and companion, compassion. A mind not caught up with anything is free. And because of this freedom, it is able to give rise to genuine selfless compassion for all. <clears throat> Waning asked the person, what is, what, is, what is it that you're chanting? The man answered, it is the Diamond Sutra. Weening asked, where can I obtain more teachings on this text? The man replied, I got my copy from a very famous and great Chan, and Chan master, Hong Ren. He lives up north at Mount Wong Mei. It is a great travel distance from here if you wish to see him. Weening was troubled as he very much wanted to study with this teacher, Hong Gren, but being filial, he had to find a way to take care of his mother. It is said that a patron gave him a sum of money for his mother's needs, knowing his desire to study Chan. It took him 30 days by foot to reach Hong Gren at Mount Wong Mei. Me? Okay. Daman Hongren belonged to a new movement within Buddhism, the Chan tradition, which at that time, among other things, was a reaction against Buddhist collectivism, the intellectualization of Buddhism. Prior to the emergence of Chan, Buddhism in China was still very much shaped by Indian Buddhism. Chan can be said to be the first true Chinese form of Buddhism. Chan Master Hongren represents this tradition as the fifth ancestral lineage. When Hongren met Huineng, he asked him, where are you from? Huineng said, I'm from Lingnan in the south. At that time, all the large prosperous cities in China were in the north. The fifth patriarch said, Lingnan, in the South, there are only uncivilized people. What makes you think you can study Buddhism? Huineng immediately retorted, in terms of Buddha nature, there is no North or South. Even though I am illiterate, I'm the same as you. Huineng <laughs> was a lay commoner dressed in rags, now among Buddhist monastics, which simply put were, quote, professional practitioners of Buddhism. Hongren was very astonished and delighted by Huineng's words. Huineng continued, my mind keeps producing wisdom. <coughs> I believe that not being alienated from my own nature is important. This nature itself seems to be a field of blessings. Hongren, feeling perhaps that Huineng would be harmed by jealous monks said, stop, say no more, go to the mill and pound the rice. That will be your job here. Manual labor like pounding rice was the duty of temple workmen and postulants. These people temp typically live at the monastery to help run it. Sometimes it is a preparatory stage prior to becoming a monk. I have a question here because it didn't dawn on me that there would be jealous monks in Buddhism to begin with. And secondly, that they would harm anybody. So jealous because he was so enlightened at, at such an uneducated stage that they would feel threatened. He hadn't, he hadn't paid his dues. Uh, you know, he didn't know how to read. And he, uh, yeah. So uh, one thing I heard was um, at Tassajara, which is you know the monastery for San Francisco Zen Center, they had to hire an outside facilitator because the the monks were getting along so poorly with each other. So I think it's probably pretty typical that of human that, beings <laughs> of human beings, right? Human nature, yeah. <laughs> Okay, thank you. 
Um, okay. In order to protect him, Hongren sent him to work in the granary. Later on, Hongren went to that area and asked Wenang, do you understand why I sent you here? Yes, I do, Hongren continued. Oh, Hongren continued. Your task is to pound the rice. Do it single-mindedly. I will. Wanning single-mindedly pounded the rice and prepared the food. In monasteries of the Chan tradition, the task considered the most precious, the most conducive to practice, is not necessarily sitting in the Chan meditation hall, but doing manual labor. Many people who come to the monastery are, are first sent to do kitchen duty or to work on, in the granary. Many seasoned practitioners voluntarily choose to work in these places. One day, some eight months after Huaneng's arrival, Hong Gran went to the granary and saw Huaneng pounding the rice. It takes a lot of work to separate the rice from the husk. Using a huge mortar, one has to first pound hard and then step on it with the foot. In monasteries at the time, meals consisted mainly of kanji, watery rice, especially when there were many monks to feed. For instance, Hongren supposedly had more than a thousand monks living at his monastery. Right Hongren asked Huineng, is the rice ready? He replied, it's been ready for a long time. Hongren at that time was already old. He struck the floor three times with his staff. Huineng took this to mean the third watch of the night. So that night, Huineng went to Hongren's quarters and Hongren expounded the Diamond Sutra to him. Huineng's mind was completely illuminated. Hongren then transmitted to him his own monk's robe and begging bowl as a symbol of entrustment of the responsibility to continue the Chan lineage. The day before, something quite interesting had happened. Hongren addressed the larger assembly saying, I want to find a successor. Therefore, today I ask that you come up with a verse to demonstrate your realization. The head monk, Yu Quan Shen Wei, wrote a poem. Everyone was in awe of it, reciting it throughout the monastery, especially since Hongren had said, it is good. Besides Shen Wei was the head monk, uh, besides Shen Wei was the head monk and therefore the leader of the monastery after Hongren. His four line verse went something like this. The body is a tree of Bodhi, the mind is like a clean earth stand. Polish it diligently, time and again, not letting any dust gather. Mm. While Hongren praised it, he knew that Cheng Chu was not yet awakened. That day, Hui Neng was working when he heard someone recite that verse about the granary. He asked, who wrote that? The monk answered, you don't know? The master is retiring and wants to find a successor. He asked all of his monks to come up with a verse demonstrating their realization. This one is from Chiang Shu. Huineng asked, can anyone write a verse? Yes. As Hui Neng was a postulant, way too busy to go around the monastery, he had no idea what was happening. This was happening. Hui Neng then asked the monk to take him to the section of the wall where Xiang Chu had written this, his verse. Since Hui Neng was illiterate, he asked someone to write his verse, his own verse, next right next to Chien Shu's. Bodhi originally is not a tree. A clear mirror has no stand. 
Originally, there is not a single thing where I can thus collect. <laughs> Everyone was astonished. The news reached Hongren. When he saw these lines, he asked, who wrote that? That postulant in the kitchen, Hongren ordered, have someone scratch it off quickly. <laughs> it's a wonderful story, isn't it? I love the yes. story. Yes. <laughs> it was the next day that Hongren went to the granary and summoned Hong on Ning to meet him in his quarters at night and secretly transmitted the robe and bowl to him. <coughs> that night, Hong Rin also warned Wing Ning, you must leave the monastery tonight, take the ferry boat. Wing Ning said, I'm from the South. I'm not familiar with the mountain routes here. Hong Rin said, I will take you personally. Hong Rin told Wing, Wing Ning, took Wing Ning to the docks and told him to go into hiding. Come out and teach when you're ready. For three days, Hong Gren did not give any teachings in his monastery. People may have thought something was wrong, that perhaps the master was feeling ill. The head monk went to inquire about him and to report to the assembly. Finally, Hong Gren addressed the assembly saying, I am old. The teaching, teaching has already been passed down. Now everyone throughout the monastery was asking, who is it? Who is it? Hong Gren answered, the one who is capable. The only person in the monastery capable of wisdom was Wei Neng. This is where the Gangan picks up. One of the monks, an ex-general by the name of Wei Ming, Ming in the Gangan, was furious about this. He was a big, brash, straightforward individual. He picked up his belongings, jumped on a horse, and went chasing after Wei Neng. According to the text, Wei Ming easily caught up with Wei Neng. This robe symbolizes entrustment mm. of the... Oh, did I need to stop? No, it's okay. okay. Go ahead. This robe symbolizes entrustment of the Dharma. How can it be taken by force? Take it if you want. Ming tried to pick it up, but it was as immovable as a mountain. Ming hesitated and became frightened. He retorted, I came for the Dharma, not the robe. Te please teach me, postulant. Uh, okay. That explains it. Mm -hmm. Whoa, wait, who said that? I'm sorry. Oh, I <laughs> was that I was you? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> no, it, it, it makes sense now. It's making more sense. Yeah. In what sense? Is it making sense? Well, I mean, now they've, now they've come to the point where they started. Right. Oh. That's what happens with these um, all the time is halfway through Gugo's comment, it begins to make sense because he's given enough background and you're yeah. going, oh, Okay, now I see. The words entrustment of the Dharma pierce right through Wei Ming's heart. Entrustment in Chinese is sometimes translated as conviction. Here it does not mean faith of belief. It means the seal of approval, like a stamp. The impression made from a stamp has the same image as on the stamp itself. So entrustment really means oneness or identity. Identity of what? Han Gren's mind and Hui Ming's, Hui Ming's mind were identical. Their minds were one in accordance with the workings of Buddha nature, awakening. Hui Ming replied, no, I came here for the Dharma. Please teach me, postulant. Hui Ning responded, with the most condensed teaching of Chan, he cut right to the chase. Not thinking of good, not thinking of bad. At just this moment, what is your original face? Like all practitioners of meditation, Hui Ming was used to reflecting on his own flaws. 
to introspection and watching his mind. He knew very well that the mechanism of the discriminating mind of like and dislike, of good and bad, was what drove each and every decision in his daily life. Many people go again and again to a Dharma center. Despite the leg pain and the discomfort, they will go. They still go. Perhaps you are one of them. What is it that drives you? Perhaps you feel a lack or anguish inside and you want to improve something. You want your life to be other than what it is. If you are used to to observing yourself, you see that at the foundation of all of your decisions and your experiences, when you are vexed, angry, or jealous, the core of your anguish has to do with your liking and disliking, good and bad. When you have leg pain and you don't like it, it is because you want this moment to be other than what it is. Yet, at the same time as you have don't like, you already like something else. Like and dislike, good and bad, is always bound together. It is the most fundamental duality you experience day in and day out. It has become your sense of who you are. Mm. Quinang here is asking Quinang to put down everything he has known about himself and see what is there. What is the freedom that is not bound by good and bad, like and dislike, birth and death? Had he stopped at merely, don't think of good or bad, it would not be Chan or Buddha Dharma. It would simply be stupidity. If this not thinking of good and bad were all there was to gaining enlightenment, then it would be very easy. All you'd need is to get yourself hit over the head with a hammer, go into a coma, and there, you'd be enlightened. Hui <laughs> Ming was actually asking, what is it right here and now that is already free from this duality, this separation? Is the space in the room ever affected by the furniture? How can it be? How can it be? Put it down. Immediately upon hearing Wing Ning's words, Wing Ning's words, Hu Ming, Wu Ming was greatly enlightened. His whole being trembled. Sweat covered his body. Then in tears, he paid reference to Wing Ning. When you are sitting and don't like having many wandering thoughts, you feel that there are obstructions. Know that nothing obstructs us. Thoughts liberate themselves, moment to moment to moment. What need is there to do anything about wandering thoughts? In their natural state, thoughts are already free in their nature. And so you sit with peace of mind you sit at ease, clear and free, wakeful and still. This is the genesis of the silent illumination method, the methodless method in Chan mentioned earlier. Yet, what is your sitting like? Isn't it true that even in sitting you are busy? When you're sitting, you're too often minding this or minding that. For instance, your neighbor who is moving too much or sounds such as a car passing by. When you just sit, just mind your own business, just sit. It is not a state of oblivion. You're sitting, body and mind sitting. You are clearly aware of the reality of sitting with no wandering thoughts. This is silent illumination, the actualization of your original face. Should I go I, on or do you want to go I want on? to ask a question about that later because I obviously have never been at that point. Because thoughts keep coming. They keep coming and I just say thought, thought, thought and let it go by. But 
I'm aware of my sitting, but there are still those thoughts wandering in. I love how it says, what need is there to do anything about wandering thoughts? Ah, you know? there it is. <laughs> I really like that. In your natural state, thoughts are already free in nature. I guess if you don't cling to them or have an idea that they should or shouldn't be there, you know, I guess it's just like a breeze coming in and out or something. You know? So you're oh. aware of it, but you're not saying, oh, that breeze or ah, oh, that breeze. You're not clinging or, okay, all right, I see the I think back to the furniture analogy, uh, we think of the thoughts as the room, but they're really the furniture. Does that make sense? Yes. Or the clouds and the stars and the moon as space, but they're not space. They're within space. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of reminded once I went to Peg and I was telling her that I'd had an experience where at the bottom of it was this piece, very quiet piece. But on top of it were these emotions that I'd been experiencing. And but it was really interesting because in the midst of the emotions, the peace was there already. But I was really kind of curious about the emotions and I wanted to talk about that. And mm -hmm. she said something to the effect of, um, but what about the peace? Pay attention to that. And so that's kind of like the space in the room. The room, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know? And the emotions were kind of the furniture or the thoughts or whatever, you know. Yeah, once I was telling her all my uh, things I was worried about, and she said, you have a lot of worries. <laughs> that ended that. Join the club. Put them down. <laughs> okay, thank you. Who's next? Is it Dawn? Oh, Stephanie, yes. yes. Okay. Um, at this, Ming was greatly awakened. His whole body was dripping with sweat. In tears, he bowed in reverence and asked, is there any other significance beyond this secret teaching and meaning? The ancestor said, what I have just told you is not a secret. If you turn the light around and illuminate your own original face, what is secret is right there. Mm -hmm. Even though we may had this first entry or opening, the first glimpse of awakening. He asked, is there anything more? This can't be it, can it? <laughs> Weaning answered, I told you, that's it. This word, it, Chinese, me, has been translated as secret, but it can also be understood as intimate. The secret is within you. Be intimate with it. How? Turn the light of your awareness around. Stop chasing after this and that. From the perspective of the room, furniture is no barrier. I need to say a, a word of warning. Uh, the battery on my iPad is very low. And I have only one, uh, what should I say? Um, Percent? Pardon me? Oh, one wire? Yes, so I'm I'm using it for the light, and <laughs> so if I undo the light, I cannot read. <laughs> so I may disappear. This is well. This I is can it. I can screen share the book. Well, let me. I, I it said a, a few percent, uh, probably four percent still. Oh, okay. Technically speaking, Chan training doesn't lead to awakening. From the Chan perspective, Buddha nature, awakening or freedom is something intrinsic to your very being. It is already here from one moment to the next. This means the room has always been open and spacious. There may be reasons why furniture is there or not there. But even when it is there, the room is still open. Unfortunately, because of your continual, continual entanglement with your own views, with what you think is good and bad, 
with what you construct as like and dislike, likable, not likable. You create all sorts of suffering for yourself and others you have identified with the furniture. In fact, that's all you see. You have lost sight of the room. Suffering can be great indeed with people going to war and killing each other because of it, condoning all sorts of inhumane activities, subjecting others to harsh labor, and so on. Underlying each nation's political agenda is this. I want, I don't want, I like, I don't like. It's the same culprit, the self, that spreads from one individual and expands to the whole nation. Your concepts and ideas can also do great things and bring goodness and prosperity to humanity. If only they are free from self-referentiality, self-concern. Therefore, in itself, the furniture of liking and disliking is not the culprit. Also, it has the great potential to be. If you want to engage in Chan practice in your daily life, you have to be intimate with the way your heart, your mind operates. It does not matter if you are meditating or pounding rice. Actually, the best time to observe the self is when you are defensive, when you are threatened, or when you are challenged by another situation. In your reaction, you can instantly see your grasping, your like and dislike. It's right there. In that moment, put everything down See through these constructs. They are not barriers to your original face. But to do this, you have to actually engage in practice. Regarding the sixth ancestor, his actions came from a state of emergency. In his grandmotherly kindness, he peeled a fresh lychee fruit remove the pit, and then placed it in your mouth. All you have to do is swallow it. <coughs> Woman says that Huinang is so kind in spelling everything out to Hugh. He not only peels the skin of the lychee fruit for you, but also puts it in your mouth. All you need to do is chew it. No one can do that for you, but let me show you how to actually chew it. <laughs> a basic method of Chan practice is to be aware of the breath as a meditation method. When you have wandering thoughts or are falling asleep, immediately bring your awareness back to your method. You need not get angry or impatient with yourselves, with yourself. Thoughts such as, why do I have wandering thoughts? I have to concentrate, concentrate. Only reinforce your habitual pattern of grasping and rejecting, like and dislike and good and bad. You just need to bring back your awareness gently, immediately. There is no need to contrive to generate anything else, to add oil to the flame. You just bring it back. That exercise will train you to be more mindful of what is happening in your daily life. The next time someone yells at you, just see this anger and put it down. Regain your composure of being the spacious room. Allow all things to be and relax. This is the light that illumines, illuminates the room. The cleaning part is not to identify with, the cleaning part is not to identify with anger. It cannot be described or pictured, nor can it be praised enough. So quit your, your struggle. The original face has never been concealed. Even if the world is extinguishes, it cannot be destroyed. Awakening is readily available to you. You live with it. You bask in it from one moment to the next. It is not that you have lost your true nature, nor is it something you can gain from engaging in spiritual practice or something you struggle with. If it were something that could be gained from outside, 
like a psychological state that you can zap into while in meditation and zap out of as easily, that would mean it was not real. It would probably be just another construct that you have created. This quit your struggle is a rough translation, the best that I can come up with, but it doesn't fully convey the meaning, which in fact contains the whole path of Chan. The Chinese here for struggle means bearing, suffering, toil, difficulty, and striving. As long as there's duality, there will be struggle because there is for and against, grasping and rejecting, good and bad. Isn't this what characterizes everything you do in life? When this struggle suddenly stops, you will see for the first time that awakening has nothing to do with that. It's like water trying to get wet or wind trying to blow. This is your true nature. It is not an experience, not a state, and not knowledge. Experiences come and go. State makes it sound like an altered state of consciousness. It is definitely not some learned concept or idea. That said, awakening has many different levels. There can be shallowness and depth. Even though water is water, wind is wind, and awakening is awakening, according to the depth of your own grasping, you can have a flash of your true nature then return to delusion. This would be a shallow experience, for lack of a better word. It passes and you realize that you still have a lot of attachments. The difference is that now you have at least personally tasted the absence of delusion. You have tasted the lychee. No one can fool you about what it tastes like anymore. This means that you know what vexations are, what self-grasping is. You know how the mind's mechanism functions and you're not tricked by it. Self-grasping will re-emerge because its mechanism is so deeply ingrained. Vexations are like a volcano eruption. If you have seen your self-nature, then when the volcano is about to erupt, you will be able to calm it. That's what post-awakening practice is about. You won't allow a vexation to spew out because if it does, it will hurt those around you. How do you calm it? You see the non-existence of vexations. This is wisdom. She left. I think we lost her. <laughs> Maybe she'll come back. Uh, Gail, I think. Uh, I'll pick up. Um, how do you calm it, the vexations? You see the non-existence of vexations. This is wisdom. You will be able to engage with the world fully more than ever before. And because your actions of body, speech, and mind will not stem from self-grasping, they will, be ben they will benefit others. This is compassion. Wisdom does not give rise to vexations. Compassion has no opposition. There is no ownership. They are not yours. They're just the most natural and most and needed response to everything and everyone. Even if you no longer existed, this functioning of wisdom and compassion would continue to be. So this is how to chew on the lychee. If you want to know its taste personally, then take up this, this case and ask, not thinking of good or bad, what is my original face? I like this koan. Mm -hmm. I do too. It's nice. Very nice. Just like uh, Hui Meng. Yeah. Did you all, um, did all of you read that book, The Method of No Method? That was, um, yeah, Shen Yen. Shen Yen. No, no, that's it. In depth and practice. What? So we did some of, we did in depth and practice. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking so. 
I bought it, but I didn't make it to the class. <laughs> anyway. Well, Peg sent out an email um, maybe last weekend or last week about Guo Gu is doing, um, I think it's a free series of videos and maybe even some online talks about um, silent illumination. Oh, it's, really? Let's start pretty soon. Yeah, she said it was, I think, like last Friday, maybe, or... Oh, I, is, I probably is that not the one about March meditation every day? Was that the one that talked about... Hello, Trudy. <laughs> back. All right. Um, or is that different, Donna, than the March meditation every day and then a talk? It, it's possible. Uh, it's something that tric tricycle tricycle is doing. Yeah. Um, and you know, probably if you do a search on tricycle and guo gu, he's got a new book on silent illumination coming out in early March. So I think it's a, a sort of a confluence of several different things at once. Um, I don't know if you have to subscribe to tricycle to do the course. You don't, but I don't believe it's free either. I just oh. heard it. I just found it. It says this free offering is a wonderful way to appreciate the teachings of Guo Gu, contemporary Chan Master, and Hang Xi, Hang Xi, the originator of the practice of silent and illumination. It begins in March, so you have the time to plan for it. We have been reading Guo Gu, blah blah blah. Anyway, meditation month, and then um, silent illumination. Join meditation teacher Guo Gu for weekly guided meditations to help you sit every day in March. Okay, so that is it. Yeah, yeah it is related. It, I guess it is somehow related. Or there's an article in the Tricycle from February 3rd, 2021. And I guess it talks about it. So it's a, a free 31 day challenge to kickstart your practice. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. You get two live calls with Guo Gu to ask any question you have about your practice. And a steady stream of helpful articles on Trike Daily. Anyway. And Thank more. you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. There you have it. Quite an offering. Yeah. yeah. You know, I wanted to say one thing about what we read that struck me was when Hui Neng um, awoke, his teacher actually smuggled him out of the monastery, told him to, <laughs> to flee, and then said something to the effect of, uh, come, come back and teach when you're ready. And that's, you know, kind of um, reminding me of other gongons that we've read where you can have this illumination or this awakening, but sometimes, um, depending on the how profound it is or how deep it is, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be meeting some things afterwards that, you know, you might need to um, process or integrate before you become a, a teacher. Well, really he talked about that, that, didn't he? The different levels of enlightenment. But I had heard the story where he became uh, literate. So I don't know what ready means. Yeah. Yeah, and most, from what I've, read about you know buddhism is most um most teachers if their student has uh you know can you know awakening moments usually they don't want them to go teach right away they have to actually integrate it and begin to embody it in a way that um you know it's, it seems um you know that that it will be the most helpful um so, I mean, it's kind of interest. It's kind of an interesting process, the whole thing for me. Yeah, I, I, I remember Adyashani's story was that he had his second big opening. He had one, seven years passed, then he had another. And then his teacher um, asked him to teach, but about three years after the second one, you know, and then said, okay, I, you know, I want you to teach. Mm. She gave up her thing. So, it's interesting. Indeed. But uh, from, from being a teacher's perspective, I'm sitting and listening, and I was thinking, all right, how, how does this make sense? 
So well, I would think that even though you've gotten this awakening, that the patterns are still deeply ingrained that you had beforehand, and maybe it takes that time to work with that awakening and to dissolve those old patterns and then be prepared to pass them on to your followers. Yeah, I, I think that there might be, you know, some, um, you know, conditions, like you said, patterns, you know, that sometimes, you know, depending on how deep your experience is, didn't get, um, you know, seen clearly enough or, well, I don't know what to say about that, but it, it, it appears that that might be have something to do with it. Because there are people who get out, ha have really had sincerely wonderful big openings, and then they try to go teach right afterwards and end up making a complete hash of it. You know, um, just because you have an opening doesn't mean you're going to be a good teacher either. You know, we all have our gifts. Well, Nelda, you're in charge. Oh, I never feel like I am. Um, anything else before we um, wish each other well? I enjoyed it. Likewise, always. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening. Good to see you, Trouty. <laughs>